also, even if you're going to go into entrepreneurship, you need soft skills, you know? Um, and so one, I saw the need for that. And I just felt like, especially on the South and West side of Chicago, that's something that we don't teach in our school's curriculum. Welcome back to Abundant Culture Podcast. Where we dissect the mindsets and tactics of the true beast of business. People like Gary V, Grant Cardone, and Warren Buffett. All to create a blueprint to experience life more abundantly. Hey everybody, it's Joseph. Welcome back to the Abundant Culture Podcast. We're so glad to have you back again this week because we are interviewing another founder of a non-for-profit. Now, you know my heart really goes out to these people because they do everything in their power to make a difference and an impact in their communities. And I want to give as much value as I can in the area of nonprofits. So we're going to be talking about various different subjects around nonprofits, like how to structure a non-for-profit so that it gets the most amount of success possible and also how to choose your board so that your not-for-profit won't actually fail and I think that's something that's extremely important because success really does take a team and also we're going to talk about something that's very specific to this not-for-profit where they help children in low-income communities really become the ideal candidate for whatever job it is that they're looking for whatever you know position they're looking to be in or whatever they really want to do in life. And it really teaches those life skills that we were supposed to learn in school, but honestly didn't. Things of, you know, like how to dress for success or how to interview or table manners and just really simple things that means the most. So we cannot wait to introduce you to our good friend, Kevin Davenport. So hi, Kevin, and thank you again for coming on to the Abundant Culture Podcast. We are so excited to have you because what you do like is it really aligns with like our mission um especially giving back to the the youth so we love what you do and we cannot wait for people to hear more about it but before we go into detail um about all the things that you do can you explain your story like how you got into business why did you start yeah um so it's interesting, uh, you know, people ask me this all the time, like, ideal candidate, what was the concept? It actually came from my mother. Uh, so she started a cultural, I'm sorry, she started a performing arts school. She's had it for over 40 years. And so she teaches, you know, ballet, jazz, tap modeling on the southwest side of Chicago. And so she's like, I'm making an impact through performing arts, but these students are really lacking soft skills. So she started this cultural enrichment program as a way to give back to the community. And uh, she had me to start teaching the program at 15 because she's like, if my son can teach this, he'll learn it better for his own life. But I really took a connection for it and um, really saw what my mom was trying to do. Uh, and it kind of took on a life of its own. You know, she started teaching just a couple of kids and even the parents that would come into the community as free of charge with one church on the corner, found out what she was doing and was like, you know, we love it. Can you come and teach our members, but we'll pay you for it. So she's like, okay. And so that led to another church and other high schools and middle schools. We started working with other uh, government programs that worked in like low to moderate income communities and kind of took on a life of its own. And so, uh, you know, went from just the maybe 10, 15 students that can come during the day to, you know, almost a hundred something a month. And around 07, 08, when the economy crashed, a lot of those opportunities kind of dwindled away with that. Uh, but like I said, I really saw my mom's vision and what she was trying to do. So even though we went kind of dormant for a few years, I came to her a few years later and was like, look, mom, what would it, how would you feel if I took that concept we were doing and really brought it to life, uh, gave it some measurable outcomes and, and, you know, made it an official nonprofit. And 
here's the ideal candidate. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's absolutely amazing. <laughs> so um, really, can you kind of explain where that name of ideal candidate uh, kind of comes from and what, what made you pick that name? Yeah, um, interestingly enough, this wasn't the name I wanted in the beginning. I was even going to call it uh, LOL, like the acronym Lessons of Life. <laughs> so, um, you know, actually the name LOL, uh, Lessons of Life was already taken. So I was like, well, what can I use as a different like follow up? And what are some of the acronyms that are used in the business world? And, you know, you always hear like, I'm really looking for a good candidate. And I'm like, OK, candidate. I really like that word. And then what would the term I would be instead of just good? I don't want to say the good candidate. I thought ideal just sounded a little more better. So uh, here we are, the ideal candidate. I looked it up. It was available and I incorporated it. (laughs) Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, kind of your focus on uh, the soft skills as opposed to the hard skills? Because uh, now that we're employers ourselves, uh, that's like those soft skills are like almost everything to us, but we're not sure if uh, the rest of corporate America kind of sees it that way all the time. So can you kind of tell us uh, your reasoning behind focusing on uh, those soft skills and really what does that actually entail? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first I think that, you know, soft skills kind of encompasses every industry, you know, and it also, even if you're going to go into entrepreneurship, you need soft skills, you know, Um, and so one, I saw the need for that. And I just felt like, especially on the South and West side of Chicago, that's something that we don't teach in our school's curriculum, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, if they're not going to get it the entire time they go through elementary, middle school, high school, even college, they don't really address this. And if they're not getting it at home, where are they going to get this information? And typically what we've seen happen is they, you know, they get their degree even, and they go through this corporate, you know, uh, environment, but they still make mistakes because no one has told them certain, you know, things of what not to do. And it's so, it's, it's so many details, right? And it's just like, really, it's a matter of exposure, but uh, something as simple as table manners, dress for success. Um, Even now, social media etiquette is a big thing. You know, if you're not representing yourself the right way on your social media platforms, that can, you know, take away from some of the opportunities that you can have in the business world. So I really just want to provide some type of framework and curriculum around the things that aren't addressed in high school that I knew are absolutely essential no matter what field they were going to in adult life. Yeah. And I really do think that's amazing. I, I yeah. truly agree with that because especially that thing that you said about the social media, because literally yes. <laughs> uh, uh, we were just hiring uh, or trying to hire a couple individuals, I think a few weeks ago. Yeah. Like I put out yeah. an indeed um, application And we had got like a lot of people applying. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to look them up on Facebook and (laughs) see if I like them from there. Because if they don't seem like, you know, if they just don't seem like as enthusiastic about working or not really that, but if they don't really carry themselves in like a professional or respectful way, I don't even want to interview them. Like, I don't even want to waste my time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and I so, feel like, uh, oh, I'm sorry, just to kind of you know follow up on that, even as employers, you all want to work with people that you enjoy being around, right? So, yes. you know, seeing how that person is outside of the work environment is a big deal. And if they're not highlighting themselves a certain way, yeah. that can make your business look bad. And you're like, I don't know if I want to just hang around this individual outside of the work environment anyway. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, 100%. It's a big, big thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so can you talk more about what the ideal client is, like what you do candidate. specifically? I mean, I'm sorry. Yes. The ideal <laughs> candidate. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, so can you explain more in detail what the ideal candidate is? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're actually going through a little bit of a pivot. So we started the, we're in our fourth year now. Uh, so really excited about that. But uh, we started off as purely a nonprofit organization uh, for 16 to 24 year olds. As a matter of fact, we started off with just seniors in high school. So we changed a lot. Uh, we now work with 16 to 24 year olds. But um, really, our nonprofit organization will take students in on a scholarship basis. We take them through our full curriculum. And then we also partner them with a few other. Uh, organizations that can also provide some hard skills. So this summer, for example, our summer program, uh, we took 15 students in from all over CPS schools. So a bunch of different CPS schools, majority from like uh, uh, Inglewood area, West Garfield Park, et cetera. But uh, we took the students in and they went through our full curriculum. And then they also went through the Urban Tech Academy's curriculum. So they got some uh, Cisco, uh, Cisco certification, as well as web app development uh, certification and exposure. And then we took them on field trips so they get exposure to what is uh, these corporate entities like really look like. Uh, they got to speak to other minority professionals within there. So we took them to uh, BET downtown. We took them to uh, CIBC so they can they can see how a bank works. And, and like I said, talk to their staff. Uh, we took them to Carter Go, uh, which is now called Share Now. But, you know, those car sharing, uh, you know, vehicles and they got to understand like how does that business work and the IT that goes into it and just the you know really cool for them to see and last but not least we took them to uh, ABC uh, channel 7 and so they got to meet the news reporters they got to see how the weather works and the, the editing team and the lighting team and this just how the whole thing kind of works so uh, yeah that's we try to give them as much exposure as possible in addition to the soft skills and in addition to some of the hard skills but like I said we are going through a bit of a pivot and we've gotten um a lot more opportunity to work uh, with corporations, with their int- uh, entry-level staff, as well as their sales team. We've been going into more of like the restorative justice, which means uh, students that have been incarcerated before age 25. Usually if it's 25 or older, it's a uh, returning citizen. Mm-hmm. But under 25, it's you know, um, uh, restorative justice. And then now, uh, the last couple of months has been veterans and on Veterans Day, right? But uh, they're saying a lot of, you know, veterans are having a hard time getting adjusted to, you know, civilian life and just kind of uh, the soft skills necessary to thrive in the corporate culture. And so can we come in and talk to just some of the ones that are struggling with that? So uh, we're really grateful for the opportunity. But yeah, we are officially not a for-profit and a non-profit entity. So a lot more room to grow, but uh, we're just excited to see where things are going to go from here. That's like, that's amazing. <laughs> I I'm mean, sorry, so, <laughs> no, no, it, it was great. Um, and so like as a veteran myself, I can say that it is hard coming back, especially like coming back from a deployment where you aren't really using soft skills. It's kind of just like you're just following orders and that's it. You're not even like a person at that point. You're kind of just like a robot. So coming back home, it's like, wow, I have to like relearn how to be nice to people. Like how <laughs> to right. say like please and thank you. Like just like the the most like common sense stuff that you would think you don't need help learning like you do. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And two two of our board members are um, uh, veterans as well. So 
you know, they're telling us their experiences and why this is so needing. So they're kind of the ones helping to navigate those new contracts and things like that and seeing the need because that's within their network. So it's just come up in just casual conversation and things are just kind of organically uh, come to where it is now. So like I said, it's I'm, I'm grateful for it. And the more impact we can make, uh, the happier I'll be. That's awesome. That is awesome. So when you um, have like these kids come in uh, between the 16 and 24, how are you finding them? Are you going to like the schools and looking for them or are they kind of looking for you? Like, what does that look like? It's a mix. Uh, so the first two years, we we really would go directly to the guidance counselors at Chicago Public Schools, the different high schools, and uh, to make them aware of our services. This is the type of candidate that we're looking for. Uh, can you help us kind of find this student and help them apply? Here's the process. Uh, and we still do that, but now it's to the point where we're accepting online applications. Uh, we got enough of a demand where it's a little easier to pick out the students, but we still work with a lot of guidance counselors. We'll take their advice and, you know, whether the students. So it's kind of an organic process now, but uh, it's kind of a mix of like either the parents or the students themselves can apply through the website and or we'll work with uh, different guidance counselors and schools throughout the, the city to, uh, you know, find the students as well. Oh, OK. Cool. And uh, can you give us a couple more examples of really what this curriculum uh, kind of entails and teaches and kind of looks like? Because um, we understand that like you do a lot of soft skills and then you mix some hard skills in there. But uh, maybe some people don't necessarily know what all the different types of soft skills are. So like what are what does the average, I guess, uh, day of instruction kind of looks like there? Sure, sure. So uh, it's usually a six-week program where it's really robust. We do a lot of, um, you know, team-building exercise, communication exercises. But really, uh, just to kind of start at the beginning, we focus on behavior modification. And I really feel like that's where we differentiate ourselves from some of the other soft skill development, you know, corporations. Because, you know, there's a lot of people in the space doing this this type of work. Uh, some of them are more effective than others. But like I said, since we... I guess since I'm younger and I'm African-American myself, you know, I understand the psychology of what the students are going through. And if you just jump into dress for success or table manners, the student doesn't understand how it applies to their life. Yeah. Because everything they've known up to this point didn't need that. So it's kind of like, who is this random person coming and telling me these things? But so we start at the beginning and we, we make them um, basically identify what's their purpose where do you see yourself happy and successful in the future? Uh, if you were to have this ideal job or to start your own company, you know, what would that look like? So we make them literally visualize and meditate, you know, where do they see themselves? Uh, and we make them go as far as in depth of like, do you still live in Chicago? What kind of car are you driving? What kind of house are you driving? And really just drive into like, what is the lifestyle that you want? And then from that point, whatever they wrote on that paper or whatever they, they came up with themselves, now we make a distinction of like, look, everything you wrote on that paper, now you know you're going to need dress for success and table manners, et cetera, to get to where you want to go. But I feel like it just doesn't stick unless we do that part first. You see what I'm saying? So we have to give them that framework to, to see that. Uh, so we start there. That's always our first module. And then from that point, you can really go in whatever order that you want, but um, it's table manners. So understanding, you know, what fork to use, what knife to use, um, especially it's focused on like corporate dinners. And so we talk about what is appropriate dinner conversation? Uh, how do you excuse yourself from the table? Where is napkin placement? I mean, we have three slides on buttering bread. <laughs> so <laughs> we're really, really far in depth of like, you know, what is it supposed to look like when you're in that environment? 
uh, like we said, the social media etiquette, uh, there's resume writing, there's interview skills. Uh, we go over communication strengthening. So like how to make a good first impression, uh, nonverbal communication. So, you know, a little tidbit for you guys as well. When nonverbal communication is inconsistent with the verbal communication, people are always going to believe you're nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Mm. And think about, so that's yeah. why when you see someone having a bad day and they're like, Hey, is everything okay? And you're like, I'm fine. You know, they're not, right? Because they're not verbal. So we go over a lot of little stuff like that. But so, you know, being an effective communicator. And um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, I am skipping some. So like poise, leadership. Yeah. Uh, basically the whole nice of like uh, the, yeah. the soft skills. And just, uh, just as far as like dinner table conversation, even like what's appropriate in the workplace, right? So there's some things you can and cannot say in the workplace, even just... Um, you know, how do you communicate with your boss, uh, email communication, phone etiquette? You know, there's so many little things like they've never been exposed to CC and BCC on an email. You know, so we have to break that down. It's how does that work and how do you attach your boss? But, you know, blind carbon copy your CEO, just, you know, so like all those different scenarios, we kind of break it down so they know every single thing that they can come across when they step into this new, uh, you know, corporate sector. Yeah. And that's crazy because like, as you were going through all that stuff, I was trying to figure out which one of those I learned in school. And it was absolutely like none of them. None of what you just said was taught to me in school. And I kind of had to learn it on my own. And then there was a couple of things where it was like, I still don't think I know how to do that. <laughs> right. When you mentioned like the, the, which fork to use, I'm like, yeah, I, I need to take this class. Right. <laughs> I don't even know that one. Right. I just pick one up. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. I understand. I understand. So my rule of thumb, just since we're on the podcast, anyone listening can get some type of value from that as well. Uh, at any type of formal setting, you work from the outside in. Right. So if there's three or four forks, you're just going to pick the outside fork. You're going to pick the outside knife when they come around and get the next meal and they remove that and put your new and then they're going to remove that fork and knife and you just keep working your way in. And in my last little tidbit, uh, it's called we have this uh, the students sit in the driver's seat of their BMW and the BMW stands for bread, meal, water. So your bread is always going to be on your left. Your water is always going to be on the right. And that's like a huge thing. We have these round table galas. It's like, whose water is mine? It's so congested. You always know your water's on the right. So something um, to think about. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because I just went to one and I I was like, I assume my water was, my water was right. I assume my water was on the right. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you guys know for sure. BMW. Yeah, BMW. I like that. Yeah. And I think it's just great just because like it just um, like all of these things matter. Like they always say, you know, the important stuff is really in the details Mm -hmm. and it's stuff that like really like you don't learn. And it's just so crazy how, you know, these really, really basic skills, because all of that stuff should be easier than calculus, because I know I was horrible. (laughs) It's easier than calculus, but you learn calculus and you don't learn that. And that could be really the difference between you either getting a job or not getting a, a job at the you know company that you actually want. Mm-hmm. So I just find that uh, amazing that you're actually out there uh, teaching mm-hmm. people these different types of things because they can really make or break situations. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I know growing up in Gary and being born on the South side of Chicago, this is not something that you get exposed to regularly. So if you go out and you're, you know, you're at one of those really fancy dinners and, um, people could be looking at like, what, what is he doing? But you think that it's like, Oh, I just picked up a fork or a spoon and it's cool. But, um, it could really, uh, uh, be it could really help you be perceived in a certain type of way mm-hmm. and i think uh, perception is uh, everything almost absolutely yeah for sure um so can we talk about the social media etiquette for a second because there may be um parents listening that would like their kids to learn a little bit more about the soft skills and they might have their kids listen to this episode or maybe it's just entrepreneurs that are kind of self-employed. They're just getting started. They don't really know what what's cool and what's not <laughs> what's not right, to do. Right. So, um, can you talk about that just a little bit? Sure. Um, so, I guess the the biggest thing that we we start off with is like, don't ever post anything you wouldn't be proud of anyone on earth seeing. You know, <laughs> it's like um, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of times people think that stuff they post, they were like, oh, well, I'll put a filter on it so only a certain amount of people can see it. And it's like, well, what about everyone that works at Facebook? Like, they have access to it. You know, my cousin works at Facebook. I know every single one of the messages that you even think are private, they have access to. So, you know, at any point, someone has access to it to get saved somewhere. There is a digital footprint. So, and we see it all the time with celebrities, right? It's like they put up something, they take it down five minutes later, but it's already been screenshot and now shared everywhere because it just takes that one post. So, uh, you know, don't post anything you wouldn't be proud of absolutely anyone seeing. Mm -hmm. And I would say um, the biggest two differentiators that I guess where it clicked from just me personally and kind of what I I teach in in the class as well is like, stop looking at social media as like a fun outlet and start looking at it as a tool to influence and attract positive things into your life, right? So I've gotten half of my like speaking engagements, for example, from LinkedIn and and Facebook, just utilizing that appropriately. But if I was using it as something fun, as somewhere I can vent and talk about my stress and statuses and post up my heartbreaks and people would have a different outlook on me. And I still go through those things. I'm very much human, you know, but I strategically will only post uh, things that I think will put me in a positive light or, uh, just for strategic reasons. And I also feel like people to utilize their platforms, um, in the right way. So for example, I think people utilize underutilize LinkedIn. I feel like LinkedIn is like so powerful as far as attracting business opportunities into people's life and highlighting yourself in an organic way that way, uh, and just building your, your business network. And then like Facebook, like I said, too many people use it as an emotional dumping ground. It's just like this kind of like fun thing where they're posting kind of outrageous things. But I feel like there's still a way to influence how people treat you and act. And like you're just your own brand based off how you perceive yourself. Because the thing about social media etiquette, it's all on you. You know, you post every single thing. So you shape the narrative of yourself. People don't think about it that way. Yeah. And so... You know, for me personally, I like to use Facebook as to show a little bit more of like my family side, showing a little bit more friends. But even then, I'm going to use it strategically. So I'm not going to be just Mr. You know, Mr. Ty. But again, I'm con- I'm conscious that anyone can have access to it. And I'm conscious that it, I am shaping my 
my brand in other people's eyes every single time that I, I make a post. So yeah. with those two things in mind, I think uh, it helps to change people's perspective on that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit more about the um, kind of the structure of the non-for-profit you said you have a for-profit inside of a non-for-profit. Can you explain that to a lot of people? Because I honestly, I didn't even know uh, about that concept until like maybe a month or two ago. And it's still really, really new to me. And I feel like um, it's something that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about, but I feel like it can be very important, especially uh, for the non-for-profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so well, I'm kind of throwing on my other hat here. So I also work uh, full time at Chicago Urban League as a program manager for the Entrepreneurship Center. So I love this type of talk. This is right up my alley. But um, so actually, they're not together. Um, they're, they're separate entities. So but basically one brand. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah, that so, makes sense. Um, the official name of the LLC and this to show you how sticky business gets. Right. But. Uh, the nonprofit's name is the Ideal Candidate, uh, NF, NFP. We were going for the last year, two years under Success Hub. And the reason for that is because I was going to start a mobile application so these students could dive into the, the material uh, on their own. Didn't end up going the right way, but because we kept getting these corporate clients, I was accepted under the LLC so the, the businesses would be different. So basically, all of the, uh, since we're 501c3, things are taxed differently. So. Let's see how let me back up a little bit. Okay, so on a non-for-profit organization, technically no one owns a nonprofit. Something to think about. Okay. Hmm. Uh, your board of directors owns a nonprofit. So even me as the founder and president, at any point, it is almost treated like a publicly traded for-profit company. So like how Steve Jobs got fired from Apple, Papa John's got fired from Papa John's. Uh, you know, a non-for-profit's board can fire the CEO or the founder. Yeah. Okay. Um, the only difference is, you know, the for-profit publicly traded company, Steve Jobs and Papa Jones are still getting a check because they own equity. Like I said, you can't own equity in a nonprofit. So, uh, you know, with that in mind, um, I have to keep conscious of that. So if I develop anything, like I said, this for-profit work and I'm, I'm going out and do public speaking on my own, et cetera, I don't want that necessarily to come to the nonprofit because that's outside even of the nonprofit's mission. You see what I'm saying? So. Yeah. When we hold the scholarships, any grants and donations, that's all on the nonprofit side, all the scholarships we give over here. Anytime we have a corporate client or we're going to do stuff like this, um, you know, mobile application is going to be on the for-profit side. And so that's how you keep those, those two things different. But the brands are, are pretty much the, the same, right? So uh, that's why moving forward, we, we're just incorporated. It's called the Ideal Training Academy. That way they, they get some familiarity with that, that ideal brand. And even my book is called The Ideal Candidate. So uh, I, I want them to get familiar with that. So the nonprofit is going to be the Ideal Candidate NFP moving forward. And the for-profit is going to be the, the Ideal Training Academy, um, uh, which is a C-Corp. And so two different brands, two different business, um, you know, are two different bank accounts and basically two different like auditing processes. But um utilizing the same, you know, brand. So at any point I could 
make the the nonprofit a subsidiary of the for-profit, but right now they're separate. And no, the, the for-profit isn't a subsidiary of the nonprofit, just to clarify on it. Okay, <laughs> cool. Thank you for clearing that up because nonprofits are still very new to us. Yeah. Um, so uh, when you, you mentioned that eventually you could make the uh, non-for-profit a subsidiary of the for-profit, Right. Uh, could you explain uh, why somebody in the not-for-profit world might actually want to do that and some of the perks that that might actually have for them? Yeah, so one, you have a, a bigger brand backing you up. Uh, so that's always like a good thing. If The, the thing about nonprofits are they're usually 100% run by grants, um, donations, and scholarships, right? So the problem with starting a nonprofit is where's the money coming from? Especially majority of these major nonprofits, if you look where the money is coming from, unless they have some type of um, revenue generating uh, vehicles or like platforms, which is how we started. We started doing programming for other people and that would sustain our, our nonprofit. And it wasn't until we grew, we, we expanded out of that. But unless they have that majority of nonprofits exist today off grants, grants are solely based off your outcomes. So, how do you show outcomes in your first year, two years? You don't have anything to show. So it's like, uh, how do you operate within that first year? How do you get that first, you know, program done without showing metrics? And so it's like, well, I think someone at least hire us to teach their program and their kids. And we can use those dollars to support our programming internally. And so that's how we kind of did it. And it's, like I said, now we're in our fourth year. We are a little more, more eligible for these grants. Uh, we do get a lot more support from sponsorships, which are like larger corporations that um, support what you're doing. They like the the uh, the impact. But even then, it's a little bit of a game when you're starting that. Right. Because it's like, what do you get back as the sponsor? It's like, OK, first thing you get is the 501c3. So you got to write it off. Mm-hmm. Cool. But now every nonprofit you're against technically has a write-off too. So that's not that big of an edge. What's your edge in addition? And that's where the game becomes, what can you give back to the sponsorships? Mm-hmm. And so obviously the larger your nonprofit gets, the more you can give back to the sponsorship, the more likely you're going to get sponsorships and it just keeps growing and growing. And so our biggest thing is like being able to quantify our metrics. So, you know, we're going to put your logo on our website, which has X amount of visitors a year. We're going to put you on our Facebook posts once a month, which has X amount of visibility and metrics a year you know what i'm saying so you have to kind of uh you get x amount of tickets to our networking event your logo will be placed in our step and repeat like that is value so even though they are making a donation you're still giving the company back some type of value back does that make sense and so whoever can whoever can provide the most value for that same dollar is going to get the the sponsorship dollar so uh nonprofits are one of those games where it's like you either have to have a really vast network in the beginning uh, or you just kind of have to, you know, bootstrap it until it gets to the point where you can really start to, you know, get the right attention. So, yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I've not, I've actually never heard of like that piece of information of like providing value for the, the actual sponsor, because I'm over here thinking that, oh, it's just about like, it's they just like, like oh, we got, we got a tax bill. Let's hurry <laughs> right. up and figure out right. who we're right. going to move to. But it's actually yeah. a strategic component to that that I don't think right. a lot of people actually know about. So um, since you just mentioned strategic component, um, 
do you get donations from individuals? And if so, um, is there kind of like a strategy behind getting like donations from individuals? Yeah, and uh, that's honestly like our weakest area to, you know, just be transparent. Um, we're actually trying to work on that this year. We just had a meeting with the board of directors, like how can we get more of that community support? Um, but yeah, I mean, we have it where it's built in our website where they can donate anytime, but even then that really doesn't typically happen. I would say we get the most uh, donations where we do stuff like uh, our networking events. Um, those are like our, our, our biggest uh, ones. Like we just did one, what was that? I want to say in the springtime, so it was a little bit further, but we did what's called the um, like the uh, bar challenge or like head off challenge. So we did with a we went across with another nonprofit. Uh, there's two different bars on the same uh, like same level, and so it was like you're, you're coming to support both of our nonprofits. All the proceeds from the tickets that you bought went towards our nonprofits, but the 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 game was whoever whichever bar made the most money got an extra thousand dollars at the end of the night from the bar. So it was like a really, really cool concept that we did win, by the way, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a really cool concept. And uh, those are the little things that we can do to kind of generate dollars. And if people get a little drinks in them and already out in support, they, they're more likely to kind of donate them too. So yeah, for sure. uh, those are some of the things that we can do, but we do need to get better at that approach. Yeah. Yeah. And I was wondering, what are some of the ways that I guess you reach out to these different corporations for Spartan, uh, uh, for sponsorships. Like, do they, do they actually, do they all reach out to you or is it a mixture of kind of back and forth or do you mainly like have a strategy for like reaching out to them to like, um, you know, form that strategic partnership? Yeah. Great question. So 90% of it is us reaching out strategically to them. Uh, we have had a few opportunities like, uh, uh, what was one? This is kind of more of a grant, but I'll even look at it as like a, a donation, but like all state helping hands in the community gave us a thousand dollar grant. That was amazing. But they just, they heard about us. They, they liked it and just reached out. Uh, but majority of the time we are getting those sponsorships. Yeah. We have a sponsorship deck that we put together and it, it basically quantifies like what we talked about. So here uh -huh. are the different levels of ass. So, you know, whether someone wants to give, you know, $250, this is what they get, you know, $1,000 is what they get, you know, so you, whatever the ass are, we quantify like what they get. And then we have like one like platinum sponsor where we're really targeting one business and they get like the full depth of like what we can give as far as a value add. But yeah. that's part of our, our approach as well as that scarcity of like only one business can get that and this is the value that they get. Uh, but basically having that tiered approach, having it all packaged and then strategically reaching out to to folks that we have kind of like a warm relationship with. And that's how we typically will land the sponsorship dollars. Yeah. OK, awesome. Cool. So what are some uh, tips that you can buy, maybe give to a, uh, a younger person that's trying to start their own not for profit? Because we have somebody in our family personally who's uh, starting one. And for me, it's like as a business owner, as a for-profit business owner, a lot of times I don't really know what to tell them. It's like, hey, what can you sell? <laughs> like, <Right>. sell it. <laughs> but um, I know that world is just uh, uh, different from uh, the for-profit world in um, many ways. So what are some, I guess, tips that you can give somebody who's trying to jump into the not-for-profit world and make a difference? 
Yeah, and you are so correct. I had uh, three three event planning companies before I launched this one, and my goodness, it's so different than the for-profit world. <laughs> it's like <laughs> night and day different. So you're 100% correct. Um, where do I get started? All right, so first off, probably advice that you know your cousin probably wouldn't expect, but focus on the money. Focus on the money. Everyone is like, I want to help the world and I want to do A, B, and C. And it's like, unless you're Steve Jobs and you got that Bill Gates money, right. you need to figure out how to pay yourself too. Definitely. Um, and, you know, speaking from, you know, just experience, it took me really until about the third and a half year to even pay myself anything. So something to also think about too, you know, I had a lot of obstacles and, you know, we kept the programming going and things like that, but I wasn't able to pay myself anything starting. And that's why I always had to keep a full-time job when I started this for or this nonprofit was because it was just, uh, you know, that difficult to get it off the ground. But, um, if I would have had this perspective in the beginning, I don't think it would have been that hard. So focus on the money, you know, definitely work out what is your impact? What is the mission? What is the purpose of the organization? How will it work? Uh, but if there is no revenue generating vehicle behind it, if there is no um, big support as far as grants and donations uh, up front, you have to figure that that part out first, is my opinion. Unless you're willing to go through the hardship of kind of just like going through it and just making it work until things get better. But I think focusing on the money uh, really, really helps nonprofits. I mean, they even have grants specifically for businesses that are, you know, starting up within their first year, which I didn't know that either. They're a lot few and far between, but they are out there. As a matter of fact, one of my clients at the Urban League just got a $10,000 when he launched his nonprofit two months ago. So that's a great success story, you know, to start your company and get a $10,000 grant. That's enough to him to run two programs already. So nice. um, there are things out there, but like I said, focus on the money. Number two, get a good board of directors behind you. So we talked about the risk already. At any point, your board can technically let you go. That typically doesn't happen in a nonprofit. Uh, but your, your board of directors are really your biggest advocates with this. So uh, my advice is to pick board of directors that have a, a close relationship and a relationship with your mission and your purpose, but also that can provide strategic value in your outreach, right? So um, like I said, for my board, uh, we have one that specializes and she served on a national board before. So she understands the whole Roberts rules and, and how to do that. Um, even as far as how and when you get uh, audited, uh, how to, you know, record minutes appropriately. She really helps to kind of expedite that process for us. Uh, we have two within the veteran sector. We have two that are in the educational. Uh, we have one in the educational sector. Uh, we have another that works really, really closely as a political consultant. So now, you know, we got some pol political, uh, you know, figures in Chicago that know about us organically because who our board member is. Uh, we have one that focuses on like Latino and Latino outreach. So, uh, you know, finding individuals that are passionate about what you do, but that can also provide strategic value. And, and also on your board, you need one fundraiser, at least one that's like a beast with fundraising, <laughs> right? That person has a, a large network. They can make one or two calls, send a couple emails on your behalf and get you a check as well. You need someone like that on your team. Um, so having that good board, and I would say my last piece of advice, work on your narrative. Your story wins the money, basically. So uh, the stronger your narrative is, the stronger that you can kind of uh, 
make an emotional argument about what you're doing on top of the impact, the more that story is typically going to win uh, and, and just get more visibility, even from just, you know, like a media perspective, you know, that narrative goes a long way. So if you got, if you're starting off thinking about money, you got a strong board and uh, you got a strong narrative behind you, you will do pretty well in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. Those were some great tips. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. About the board, because um, I know like just kind of from like me thinking about it, I wouldn't, I don't know. I kind of don't think about like, oh, who should be on the board? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, and I think a lot of people, especially people that don't come from like business or anything, they just came from like maybe just a nine to five job. They don't have any experience with like any nonprofits or for profits, they might just choose family to be on the board just because it's family yeah. and not have that. like the board being strategically um, placed. So mm-hmm. that was like, that was, that was great advice. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. And and I'll tell you, uh, you know, my first three years, I really didn't have that much of a supportive board. And I think that's why another reason why we struggled the much, you know, as much as we did, um, you know, I've got one, one founding member, board member with us, you know, Renita, I, I love her. She's like a second mom to me, but, um, you know, her and our, and our new board, it's been just like a night and day difference between, um, what the, the organization has been able to accomplish, uh, just like the camaraderie and just the communication between all of us, the energy is just so much better, but, um, you know, really, really big difference. Cause the one thing people really when they when they apply for a board, it's almost like they want something to put on their resume or their LinkedIn. Those are the people you don't want. You know, people that look really good on paper and you're like, yeah, I had a really strong board on paper. Our website looked dope, but it was like, they didn't show up to the meetings. They didn't show up to our network events. So it's like, I don't really need that. So yeah. you want people that are in that high position, but you also want people that just don't want to put something on their resume either. They have to have some type of, of uh, sweat equity that they're willing to put into it as well. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I love that. So what's the number one takeaway that you will want people to really get from listening to this uh, podcast episode? Because you gave so many. What's the number (laughs) one? Uh, Well, my thing is support the ideal candidate. You see it right here. (laughs) (laughs) Promote it. Um, You know, support our our organization. And I'm also uh, very proud to say I'm a recent author myself, Uh, you know, As a, as a kid that grew up with uh, ADD and dyslexia, I never really believed in myself. And that's, uh, I remember having arguments with my father telling him I wasn't good enough for college. I wasn't going to school. And, uh, you know, like I said, to be an author now, and that's, that's some of the, the stories I tell my students. It's like, hey, I understood because I didn't even believe in myself at 18 years old. You can literally do anything. And my whole goal is to just equip you with the skills to get you there. And it's your job to kind of go from that point forward. But I'm going to give you the skills necessary to to kind of get you there. So our program and our book, you know, reflects just how passionate we are and just like, you know, what we do as far as exposing them to the skills they need to, uh, you know, excel after high school. So any support with the book or the nonprofit, I'll be more than grateful for. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, for go sure. support people. <laughs> um, so you're on the Abundant Culture podcast and we have to ask every guest that comes on, how do you spread abundance? Uh, how do I spread abundance? Hmm. I wasn't expecting this question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wake up every day with the perspective of 
you need to make someone else's life better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I heard, actually, I heard Will Smith say that he was like, your life will become better by making other lives better. So you know, every single day, I just wake up with the perspective of like, all right, how can I make someone's life? How can I put a smile on their face? How can I give them some type of advice? Is it just as simple as me just listening to them after I ask them how their day was and they're venting, you know, but what did I do today to make someone else's life just a little bit better? And so, uh, you know, I feel like drip by drip fills the bucket. And so, you know, I just try to do little bitty actions every day and uh, yeah, hope it helps. So awesome. <laughs> yes, goes yeah. a long way. <laughs> so uh, I really want to thank you for uh, coming on to our podcast. You've, given us a wealth of knowledge and uh right about now you know eventually somebody's going to be listening to this and maybe they're gonna you know maybe they're a young person and they know that they're going to need to uh, learn these soft skills or maybe they're a parent and they know they their child really needs uh the service that the ideal candidate actually offers or maybe somebody just wants to get in contact with you and just you know really you know exchange ideas uh, how can somebody actually get into contact with you um, for, you know, one of those different types of reasons? Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, our website is the, is the easiest one. So it's theidealcandidate.org. So literally .org, not .com, .org. And um, there's a little contact us at the bottom left corner. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, you know, reach out to us in the email directly to, to me and uh, one of our staff members. And uh, also, you can find me on all the social media platforms under Kevin P. Davenport. And so that's for Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, or Instagram, you know, Kevin Kevin P. Davenport. And uh, I would love to stay connected and, uh, you know, talk with you and help in any way I can. Awesome. awesome. So thank you again so much for all this valuable knowledge. Um, I know that our listeners will definitely appreciate this, especially the ones that are getting into the nonprofit sector. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me as well. And I'll say it on air. Happy Veterans Day to you both. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Of course. So that's all we have for today, folks. I hope you got as much value out of this as we did. Keep in mind, the only way we can improve is through constructive feedback. So remember to rate and review this episode. Also, you are not the only person that needs to know this super valuable information. So be sure to subscribe and share as well. Stay tuned for the next episode. And remember to always spread abundance. Peace.